one, have you ever wondered how to start every single day with an unstoppable attitude? And have you ever wondered how you can keep that motivation going throughout the day? Well, we're going to answer that question and more on today's show because we have the attitude adjuster, Steve Rizzo, on the show today. And, you know, once upon a time, Steve was told by a guidance counselor that he didn't have the intelligence for college and that he was voted the least likely to succeed. And he went on to writing and authoring two best-selling books, one called Motivate This, the other one's called Get Your Shift Together, one of my favorite titles ever. He's a regular contributor for Success Magazine. It's a long way from being least likely to succeed. And he's a go-to speaker. In fact, he's a he's a member of the prestigious Speaker Hall of Fame. Stay right with us. we got Steve Rizzo on the show. This is the Not Your Average Joe Show, where each week we bring you sales, marketing, and mindset strategies you need to get to your next level. And now, here's your host, international business mentor, Joe Soto. Steve in the house. Are you ready? Yes, I'm ready. I'm always ready. <laughs> we got the computers are working, the mics are working, the speakers are working. We're ready to roll. Yeah, the only thing is, you put a lot of pressure on me. That's quite an intro. Uh, well, hey, somebody has to do it. That's right. <laughs> All right. I'm fired up to have you on this show, as you can tell, because I have actually been following you for quite some time, little do you know, uh, through our mutual friend, Jeffrey Gittimer. Uh, who may be the only person that says nice things about you, but since he does, I have you here. That's great. <laughs> I, um, I love, love your videos. I think everyone should be subscribed to your YouTube channel. Um, and it, we're going to tell people how to find you in a moment. It's pretty easy at your name.com. But uh, st- give us a little backstory. So you, you, uh, you, you were voted least likely to succeed. How did you become Steve Rizzo that we know and love today? Well, you know, it's 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 a great question. It's a great way to start off. I, I was also told in eighth grade by a guidance counselor in front of my mom and dad that I wasn't smart enough to go to college. Yeah. The sad thing is, is that I believed him. And I want people to get this because a lot of times when you're in your adult life, you don't understand why you keep sabotaging your success. Mm-hmm. You don't understand why everyone else that that is in your field is moving forward and you keep going up two steps and five back. And a lot of people don't realize that they're taking with them toxic labels, beliefs from their past that are running their lives. And your subconscious runs 97% of your life. So you're sabotaging your success and happiness, and you may not even know it. So so in eighth grade, you know, the sad truth when that guidance counselor said that to my mom and dad and to me, we believed them. My mom was from, my mom, they're from the old school. They figured he's got to know what he's talking about. Look at his title, guidance counselor. That was the beginning of where I started realizing that success may be for other people, but not for me. Yeah. Then I was, um, I was uh, my senior year. I had a part-time job as a custodian uh, after school, and uh, I, I was cleaning out the guidance counselor's office, and I saw this list, and it was going to go in the yearbook. You know, the the, the best hair, the the class clown, and was most likely to succeed. And I was on this list with about 13 other people as least likely to succeed. I didn't think it was a big deal, but I realized when I got into my adult life, my life wasn't working. And um, I just started to go on a quest to better myself. It took me five years to go to college. 
And when I finally did go after five years, I graduated with high honors, 3.5. And I went back to the same school where the guidance council told me I wasn't smart enough and where I was voted least likely to succeed. And I taught English for two years and I was a counselor for kids with behavioral problems. And right after that, I started delving into going at night to stand up night at the comedy clubs. Okay. And I was kicking ass big time. And I was new, I was new at it, but I was, I was ripping them apart. And I said, this is what I'm doing. And, uh, I had the confidence to quit the school thing. And I started doing comedy for, geez, 20, 22 years. Headline clubs, theaters, college throughout the country. Had my own Showtime special. But there was a point where my negative labels came back again with a vengeance. Mm. And I kept foiling the big breaks that were coming my way. Joe, my opening acts were Chris Rock, uh, Rosie O'Donnell, Dennis Miller, Drew Carey. These guys opened up for me, you know, Seinfeld. This is before they made it. But then as time was going on, I couldn't understand why my opening acts were getting the breaks and why wasn't I? And I realized opportunity was knocking. I was afraid to open the door. Mm. I was bypassing the big breaks to do my stuff. See, I was what you call a road warrior. So I traveled all over the country. Comedy clubs were opening everywhere in the 80s and the 90s. So... I was kicking ass doing that, but every time there was an audition in California or in New York where the industry people could look at you and perhaps give you a sitcom or a TV show or a commercial, I never went. Because to me, uh, I kept thinking unconsciously that I wasn't good enough to do that. So I went on another quest to better myself. And I mean, it was intense. I went to Tony Robbins seminars. I fell asleep with headphones, affirmations. I went to spiritual seminars. And it was at a Tony Robbins seminar. And everyone was coming up to me, Joe. And they were saying, wow, man, it's amazing. You are, you're different. Something about you. What is it? I had an empowering belief system that was second to none. And it was at a Tony Robbins seminar. And I still have this paper hanging up in the back of me. I'm enframed in a... In a uh, uh, glass frame and um, I, I'm writing down as Tony's up there captivating thousands of people I said I can do this right and then I picked up the pen again and I wrote I I could do this and then I wrote again I'm gonna do this and that was it was the determining factor and I decided to become what you call and I don't like the term but that's what most people call it motivational speaker personal development speaker I've been doing it for 25 years and uh, I love it. I love the mar- it. The marriage of the two, some coin you as the world's funniest motivational speaker, which you've taken on as well, that brand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, that's a name I gave myself. No. <laughs> I love it. Somebody's got to do it. Yeah, but yeah. It's you got to be your own horn. You got to be willing to shout from the tr- If you're not shouting from the, from the rooftops, who else will? Yes, well, that's a valuable lesson, actually, that you, you well, off that own title. Exactly. And you, you, you and, and the thing with the humor, you know, um, a lot of people said, well, you know what? It, it's amazing. You you were a teacher. Then you left. Why don't you make up your mind? My life is coming in full circle right now. And I need every experience to make me realize this is where I'm supposed to be. Yeah. And humor separated me from all of the other speakers. The attention span of the average audience is very, very minimal today. And unless a speaker, in my view, can grab the audience within that first minute, you're screwed. You're going to have a tough time. 
And I always, my first five, 10 minutes, do nothing but make them laugh. Feel, you could actually see them relaxing in the audience. It could be thousands of people. It could be 25 or 6,000, 10,000 people. And, and you could see them just relaxing and they're liking it. Now I have them. Now I can hit them with a message without them thinking that I'm preaching. So it's like an emotional roller coaster. You know, I always tell some people it's like today we live in the United States of entertainment. <laughs> and unless you have some kind of entertaining value uh, to, to yeah. give to your audience, um, you run the risk of not having the effect that you should have. Somebody asked me the other day, they said, Joe, what's the formula for going viral? I said, I, I don't think I have the answer that nobody else does. I said, but here's what formula seems evident, which is you either have to be educational or you have to be wildly educational or wildly entertaining. And if you want to go viral, you probably have to be both. <laughs> yeah, I, I, oh, I agree. I agree. And another art, yes, you have to be an expert in your field, but if you could tell a powerful story, yeah. Um, that not nothing, even if it's a, a sad, depressing story, if you can tell it and grab the audience and I do both with equal intensity, I'm not boasting. It's 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 just, you know, it's what I do. It's, yeah. it's one of my one of one of my <laughs> one of my flaws, as you just experienced before, is technology. So uh, <laughs> but uh, I'm, I don't know what the hell happened. there before. But um, I, I'm at a place now where uh, this business uh, has made uh, the past two years have been pretty tough on on, on everyone yeah. but you know what you either sink or swim and i have found uh, new opportunities I, re I reinvented myself and uh, i'm taking advantage of it and um, that's what empowerment is all about I, I love that and this is you know these are difficult times uh and speaking of story i heard you share a story of why you consider your brother to be um, the single best example of overcoming adversity and the person you've learned the most from. Would you mind sharing a little bit of that? Yeah. The lessons you learned from your brother and how we can take those lessons into our lives as well. Absolutely. Uh, he's a, a hundred, hundred percent disabled as a Vietnam war, as a result of the Vietnam war. He's the only man in medical history, as far as they know that ever survived that wound. 21 feet of his small intestine were either blown out on the battlefield or taken out on the operating table. His kidneys were damaged and parts of his other internal organs. And uh, just to make a long, pretty long story short, um, uh, they gave him up for, uh, you know, they, I remember I was in the hospital, St. Albans Naval Hospital in Queens, New York, and he went from 168 pounds to uh, 94 pounds. And uh, in the room with uh, my mom and dad, those two friends from high school and his Marine Corps buddy, whom he had gotten wounded with. And the doctors came in and said, I don't think he's going to make it, not even through the rest of the week. And it was so depressing to hear that. And uh, I saw my brother, uh, he's supposed to be unconscious, and I'm right next to him. I was only 17 years old. And I'm noticing his hand is starting to rise, and up came his middle finger. And right then and there, I knew he was going to give it a go. He wasn't giving up. And he defied the odds. So many years later, you know, he went to school, he became a, uh, he, he was like 105 pounds, he went to college, and he wasn't Mr. Whiz Kid in high school. He uh, uh, became a teacher at the school where he graduated from and I graduated from, then became assistant principal, then he became principal, then he became superintendent of the entire school system. Wow. He's retired now for like 20, 20 years. Um, so years later, when that was all over and he was living his life, still had complications, he never complained. 
I studied him and I was with him so often, I still am. Uh, what made him survive? What separated him from everyone else that was in that hospital? And some of these guys, guys didn't go through half of what he went through. And I, I figured it out. He always focused, these are all my common sense success strategies. He always focused on what was working rather than fixating what isn't working. He always blessed the things that life has given him rather than cursing what life is currently throwing at him. He woke up every morning and he made a conscious choice to hold on to the things that he was grateful for. And he took that with him throughout the day. And he also made, it's amazing how he did this, because if you've seen what he went through every day, he was in the hospital for seven months. Yeah. Uh, he he um, made a conscious choice to enjoy himself during the rebuilding process. I, and, and I was like, how did he do that? And he unleashed on a daily basis, a very sick sense of humor. He unleashed what I call uh, his humor being on a daily basis. He always had to take time out to laugh even when he knew he was failing. And by the way, this wasn't easy for him. There were times when he had setbacks. There were times when he said, I just don't know if I can do this anymore. But he always tapped in to this higher part of himself every single time. And he kept rehashing those very habits, those very strategies that I gave that eventually became habits. And it became who he was. And then when he said he was going to go to college, when he got out of the hospital, we thought that was going to be the worst thing he can do because he, I thought he would be demoralized, not being able to do it, but he did it. He did biggest inspiration of my life. He sets an example by the actions that he takes, not by what he says. Joe, he's in the hospital now, as we're speaking, I was just on the phone with him before I got on with you and he's okay. having really bad problems with his kidney kidneys. I had to go in and operate. And just when they were going to let him go, they started bleeding. So he's in really, He's in serious condition now, but his attitude, you would never know it. You would never, ever know it. Well, it's, I'm sorry to hear that. And I pray it gets better. I appreciate uh, that. I, I, this, this, the role that humor plays, you know, I love the term humor being, but the role that humor plays in several things you've already spoken about in the short time we've been on here for now, not even 15 minutes. You talked about how, uh, you got to hook the audience, you know, in that first minute and ideally in the first five minutes. And one of the ways that you do it is through humor and the combination of storytelling. And if you can do both, that makes you, uh, you know, an even better uh, speaker and presenter. So you gave some really great speaking presentation marketing, in, in my opinion, marketing video marketing tips with that insight. How humor also helps you be resilient. Overcoming adversity is the example of how humor Plays a, plays a role in a part in it played a part in your brother's recovery. Hopefully, it plays a part in his recovery now, and we pray he gets out of serious condition. Um, I, our mutual friend Ken Walls, who just recently got himself checked himself out of the hospital, he was in the hospital fighting COVID. He's kind of on the men now recovering, but I think still needs a few prayers from all of us. I kept sending him uh, humorous gifts. On, in text while he's in the hospital, you know, like instead of just typing, hey, I'm checking up on you, I sent him like Cookie Monster <laughs> saying, hey, what's going on? I'm checking up on you and things yeah. like this. this. We, we, it, it's easy for that stuff to escape us. So how do you build the habit of it? So somebody who's listening who says, well, that's good and all, but what is the mental exercises I may need to go through? What do I need to be doing and taking action on be, so I can get it to form as a habit in my life? 
so so that you could become a professional humor being yourself is what you're saying. I like that. A professional yeah. human being. Yes. Yeah. And everyone has the power to do that. Um, first of all, we have to get rid of that mindset that people say this is too serious. It's not funny. There's a difference between laughing at something that's uh, uh, serious and allowing yourself to laugh off the fear that represents it. And today we are getting so politically correct that we have stifled our laughter genes, our humor genes. And I say if what laughter does and the difference is, you ever see the sitcom MASH? Yeah, okay. <laughs> I'm dating yep. myself, but yeah, I yeah. grew up yep. yep. with my dad. I was, Remember know. Alan Alda played Hawkeye? Yeah. Okay, yeah. remember the scenes? He'd be in the operating room, right? And uh, uh, bodies are being brought in by the dozens. His hands are inside, some kids' insides. Blood splurting all over his mask. They have no medical supplies left, and bombs are bursting all over the place. And what is he doing in the middle of this? He's, He's cracking jokes. Always cracking he jokes. had a warped sense of humor. Yeah. Yeah, but Joe, here's the thing. This is what everyone needs to understand. He wasn't negating the seriousness of the subject matter. Right. He just knew that his humor being was the only saving grace in a place where there was so little hope. The more you get in tune with your humor being from the first moment you wake up in the morning, just have a conversation with it and say, look, I may have some really intense challenges today, but know that there's always time to take time out to laugh. And when you do find it, remind yourself, whoa, I was just in a really pissed off mood. I was really negative about this challenge now. I didn't think I was going to handle it. But all of a sudden, I feel better because I laughed because your endorphins are now charged. And once you could say that to yourself, that's how you create the habit. Because your subconscious is going, yeah, okay, I get it. It worked. Okay. And automatically, it becomes a part of who you are. And then your subconscious will go, you need a humor being break. And the more you do that, the more it becomes part of who you are. It's really easy. It's just that we make what I call common sense success strategies more difficult than it has to be. The, the uh, I love that humor, a uh, humor being the, the term you've been using it for a long time, but injecting humor uh, into a situation, it's like the healing power of humor, right? Yeah, not yeah. just healing power if you're sick, but you know any type of situation can be lightened. That's stressful. That's difficult to deal with. If you can learn how to use humor, how did you? Did you? I I'd like to know, like, if somebody who says, "Well, I'm not funny, and I don't really know how to be funny." What did you, did you, were you just naturally funny? Were you born funny, Steve? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and that's, and, but that's a great question, Joe. Um, my, did someone learn it? That's the question. Yeah, absolutely. Here's the thing. I tell people all the time, why put pressure on yourself? I'm not asking you to be funny. Mm -hmm. I'm asking you to see the funny uh, in life okay. situations. That's the difference. Yeah. If you can do that, if you can do that, you will be ahead of, uh, uh, so many challenges that are there to attack you every single day. So many, so many challenges. You're laughing off the fear that represents, you know, when I was doing stand up, and this is what another thing that started clicking with me to move from, from, from comedy to motivation. I'm, I was acutely aware, very aware that sometimes I was speaking for like doing comedy for like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. But every time I was on that stage, I would go, wow, 
I knew darn well that there are people in that audience experiencing challenging times of some kind. Maybe they were going through a divorce, they were having financial difficulties, maybe they or a loved one were inflicted with some kind of illness. But for those few hours at the comedy club, their challenges, their problems, whatever they were, didn't own them because they allowed themselves to take time out to laugh. Laughter is the pit stop in the rat race of life and that it gives you enough emotional fuel and repairs to get back into the race again. Brilliant. Uh, people are tweeting that out probably right now. And, and, and here's another here's another thing. I, di I'm just, I haven't said this in a while, but this, this just hit me. I think it's because what's happening now in Afghanistan, 9-11 is coming up. It just went into my head. I remember 9-11. I was watching the news and uh, there was a, a woman news reporter and she was so solemn. The whole area was just like it was, you you know, it was devastating. And she's interviewing these firemen and policemen who just came out of the rubble looking for survivors. And there's this one fireman with bandages all around him, his arm is in a sling. He's got a bandage around his head. There's blood on the bandage and he's he's filthy. And she goes up to him and she says, how is it that you're able to go back in there in your condition?" How could you do this day in and day out? He walks up to her. He grabs the microphone right from her with his one hand. He goes, hey, lady, this is all you need to know. I'm a fireman and I'm from New York. That's it. <laughs> and everyone started laughing. I grant you that laughter only lasted a couple of seconds. Mm. But here's the thing. Sometimes, Joe, only a couple of seconds is all you need to get back into the game again to catch your second win. Your humor being gives you that few seconds every single time, if you allow it to. So it's a change of state and it's a habit to see, I love see the funny, kind of look for the humor. Yeah, yeah, you don't have to be funny. If, if it so happens that you are, great, you know? Yeah. But you my, my granddaughter got hurt last week and and she, she was crying, you know, and she wouldn't stop, right? So I, I said, um, I said, does, does this hurt? She goes, yes. And I went, I hit myself in the head. And I went, does that, ow! And she, little stupid thing like that, she started laughing, she stopped crying. She didn't even feel the pain anymore. So, and, and this, is, this is for everybody to understand, that this is a pattern interrupt you can give yourself in the midst of a day that might be creating a lot of stress for you. Turn off the news, stop the distractions. Oh yeah. And maybe, you know, find something that's humorous to watch, to read, you know, uh, and, and, and just, just break state, right? Absolutely. Is what it's doing. And that's sometimes can be all you need. That's amazing. And you know, it, it, it's what, what finds, what I find amazing is that it's so simple. And, yeah. you know, I, I know I'm onto something because I get emails from people saying it's been four years since I you know, seen you on stage at so-and-so company. And, and I can't, I still laugh at how those very basic common sense success strategies yeah. had made a profound difference in my life. We're all born with these strategies too, Joe. They're innate in us. They come from a higher part of ourselves. And, and your job is to acknowledge it and make these things habits. I think you'll agree that too many people start their days off in low moods at best. And the scary thing is, is that they're not even aware of what they're doing to themselves. It's become a part of their personality. Because as soon as they wake up, what do they do? They focus on the on the grueling day they had the day before, all the fires that won't put out, the irate people they had to deal with. Yeah. So I show people how to 
Start your day, as you said in the introduction, start your day with an unstoppable attitude, you know, to succeed. So when you wake up in the morning, before you take the covers off, don't think about all that has to be done. Uh, think about who you have to be in order to get it done. Shift your focus and your way of thinking to what is working in your life, to the things that you are grateful for. And it's a whole process. The more you do it, you create a different habit. And yeah, very insightful. Yeah. Yeah. So great questions for everyone listening. What when you wake up, uh, you're the first question to ask yourself, who do I have to who do I have to become or what do I need? Who do I need to be today to make this a great, happy, joyful maybe yeah. day? I, I give half day presentation. I'm grateful for I heard come out. So yes, in a moment for gratitude. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. And when I give a half day program for like salespeople, especially, I really I get it. I really hit them hard. And I just tell them, what, be honest, what's your attitude like when you wake up in the morning? Yeah. What do you say to yourself in the ratio of no's are outweighing the, uh, the S's, especially the groups, the salespeople who are considered the best of the best. Everybody looks at them. Oh, I wish I was in that category. Do you know how much pressure these people have? Because they got to do just as good or better than they did the year before. Yeah. And sometimes and I ask them, what are you saying to yourself when you wake up in the morning? Are you focusing on the sales that didn't go through? Are you focusing on what isn't working? I said, because that attitude you will take yeah. with you to the office, whether you know it or not. And if you do it on a consistent basis, it creates your belief system. So I show them how to turn it around, how to shift their way of thinking so they be become empowered and know that you're going to have challenges, but there's something within you that can meet that challenge head on to give you the right thought process so you could solidify a healthier belief system. I To translate, I want to hope everybody's listening to Steve's self-responsibility mindset that he's sharing so openly here. This is this is a, a theme kind of in everything that you teach, the self-responsibility, you, your attitude's a choice, your happiness is a choice. And you say something that I wrote down that I love and you said that, and maybe you could tell us what you mean by you're the only problem you'll ever have. Oh yeah, those are the three principles I go by. Those are the three principles no matter what program I am giving. I'm so glad you asked me that. Uh, you mind if I give all three? Please. Okay, the first one is uh, you need to know without a doubt that um, you are the creator of your success and happiness. There are no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Now what that means is it's really not what happens to you that determines how successful or how happy you're going to be. It's what you do about what happens. It's the thoughts that you have about the challenge that will make the difference. And the second principle is you need to know without a doubt that you are the only problem that you will ever have. And somewhere within you, there is always, always a solution waiting to be discovered. You have to learn how to get out of your way, perhaps to even be still so that you can allow the solution to reveal itself. The third principle, whenever you're confronted with a challenge or a problem of any kind, it's never a matter, never a matter of managing the situation. It's about how you manage your mind. Can you manage your mind, the thoughts and the emotions that are keeping you from finding the solution that's waiting to be discovered and the life that you desire? Those three principles I take with me everywhere I go. Gold. Thank you for sharing that. Thanks for asking. Uh, I, I don't know if it's a short story or a long one, but Eric says, please ask Steve about the Falcon Islands. <laughs> this is something I did on the radio 
Okay. Uh, John Boy and Billy show. They're still on. I think they were in Charlotte, but now they're all over the country. And um, I'm sitting there, and uh, you know, when I did my stand up, I talked like this a lot. You know, hey, I'm a Brooklyn guy. Yeah. So the guy's talking. He goes, "So you're uh, you're from Brooklyn, right?" And I said, "Yeah." You got a problem with that? He goes, "No, but tell me about it. Boy, what's Brooklyn like?" And I said, "Well, you know, a lot of people say that people from New York and Brooklyn, in particular, curse a lot. They don't mean to, you know." It's just that certain words are adjectives to them, if you know what I'm saying. I'll tell you what, for example, a couple of years ago, years ago when I was in college, I was in a history class with a friend of mine that was from Brooklyn. And the professor was talking about when Argentina attacked the Falkland Islands. So my friend stands up and says, excuse me, professor, what Falkland Islands are you talking about? <laughs> so the professor's like, no, I don't think you understand. He's going, no, you don't understand. I ask you a question. I got to know what fucking islands you're talking about. You might not notice, but there's fucking islands all over the place. What am I supposed to put on the test for crying out loud? So the professor's like, listen to me, calm down. There's only one fucking islands. My friend goes, hey, moron, look at the map. See those little pieces of dirt floating around in the water? You know what they are? They're Falkland Islands. You know, the Hawaiian Falkland Islands, the Bermuda Falkland Islands, the Caribbean Falkland Islands, and somewhere on there, you got Gilligan's Falkland Island. <laughs> Gilligan's. That's a great show, by the way. I grew up with that. That's funny. Yeah. <laughs> that is really funny. No wonder you wanted me to have you share that. If you click onto that, Google Steve Rizzo goes to the Falkland Islands. Okay. If you hear the DJs and the director and producers laughing so hard, that's what makes the bit funny is their laughter. And I did that when you're not allowed to be cursing on radio at all. And that was so close. <laughs> couple more questions for you. Tell us what you say to someone who might be listening. Say that again? Yeah. What do you say? Tell someone. Tell us what you tell someone or what you say to someone who's down and out right now and they see no light at the end of the tunnel. It's a good question. Drugs, take drugs. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be selling product in the back of the room. No, uh, <laughs> just go to steverizzo.com, everyone, for your drug refill. Well, it, it's there are you know what there are people like that, and uh, I would ask them if I could spend some time with them, and uh, ask them what they keep focusing on. Mm. What is it that you keep focusing on every day throughout the day? Uh, because it's basically the human condition for us. We have a negative bias. We're all born with this. We're always, we have a tendency of making a challenging situation worse than what it has to be. And it's all because of your thought process. If you keep thinking, I'm a loser, my life isn't working, I never get a break, through the years, you will create a belief system because your thoughts create your beliefs. The beliefs you have about anything formulated over a period of time to a consistent way of thinking. So if you're thinking you're a loser, you're actually going to believe that you are. And if you, those thoughts and beliefs will create the way that you feel on any given day. If you want to start your day with an unstoppable attitude to succeed, you better make sure you're feeling good. Yeah. Because feeling good is the fuel that drives motivation and inspiration. Yeah. And it all starts with your thoughts. So I train people how to shift their focus and way of thinking so that they can create a healthier belief system and they can wake up in the morning and find that. And I don't care who you are out there and I'm not making light of anything. Everyone listening right now can find something to be grateful for throughout the day. Yeah. Everyone. If you say you can't, you're wrong. 
I could tell a story right now, but it'll be way too long, perhaps another time, when I met Christopher Reeve five months before he passed away. That's the guy that played Superman in the first yeah. movie. Had a great relationship with him. He and, him and Dana. Yeah. He was the class. So we'll another time. Yeah. But yeah, I would tell that person, you never give up. There's always a light. There's always. You just weren't told that. You don't know that because you never experienced it. I would say, just give me a chance. Give me an opportunity. By the way, that's what I'm doing now. I'm creating my uh, personal development course. It's called Empowerment, Steve Rizzo's Attitude Adjustment Course. And it's more hands-on for small groups or one person um, and, and exercises. And it's an ongoing thing. I'm, I'm doing it for a couple of companies now. I'm so psyched about it. Um, so it is, Joe, everything I do is everything you do, everything that everyone's listening does for a living, personally and professionally. It all starts with your thoughts. If you can control them, you can control your life. Doesn't mean you're not going to be confronted with challenges. It just means that there's something within you that can meet the challenge head on. What my brother Michael did and is still doing, I believe we all can do. And if you say you can't, you're right and you won't. You have to change that mindset and only you can do that. And when you do change it, when you acknowledge it, you need to change There's a higher part of you that will meet you halfway. And I don't care what you call that part. You can call it God, the light, the force. We all have it. Acknowledge it. It's there. It, yeah. it, it can show you the way. Yeah. Brilliant. And I don't have anything to add to that. That was pure gold. <laughs> it answers the, the question that's very difficult to answer, which is how do I get out of my own way? What do you focus on? Invaluable insight and advice from Steve Rizzo, everyone. Steve, I hope I can have you back sometime. This has been a lot of fun. And even though we're out of time today, I, I know that you've got enough stories to fill up a few days of these shows. I, I don't want to go. You. I appreciate you taking it, taking some time today. I hope everyone goes to your site, picks up copies of your books, keeps their eye out for your new attitude. Uh, what is the uh, attitude adjuster course or program? Yep. And I love that you're introducing that into companies. It's much needed right now. You are a light at the end of the tunnel, Steve Rizzo. During tough, during tough times, man. Oh, man, that's so cool of you to say that. Uh, and, I mean, and everybody else agrees with me, just so you know. <laughs> In about six to eight weeks, my new book's coming out, oh. Conversations with Bob. Conversations I started with writing Bob. I started writing this book years ago at the, mo at the most challenging time of my life. And uh, it's Conversations with Bob, and Bob is God. And it's hysterical, and it's exactly all the stuff that we were talking about here. And it's all dialogue. So um, I'm very I'll put a link to all that in the show notes. And if you're listening to this down the road on the podcast, go to the show notes, grab the link, get conversations with Bob. Steve, thank you so much. And Steve, stay on here. I'll be right back with you. But everybody else, I'll see you on the next episode of the Not Your Average Joe show. And Steve is definitely not average. And I challenge everyone. Thank you. Thank you, Joe. Thank you. Average as well. Tune in next week for the Not Your Average Joe Show with international business mentor Joe Soto.